being a Christian, technically all of my life, I was raised in a Christian home, accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at 11. Uh, I had no idea because I never saw anybody pray and see God do anything. I mean, it's a shame in the church today that all the miracles that we read about in the Word of God happened 2,000 years ago, it appears. And it's a shame that I was in church all of my life and never saw God do anything. I mean, save a few souls, of course, I realize that's the most important thing. But as far as answering prayer or miracles, I didn't see him do anything. So I thought, well, if he's not doing it, you know, from the pulpit and from the deacons and everything, why would he do it for me? I'm a little nobody. And so I had an experience with God 27 years ago that changed my life. I was, well, I'll say I was normal, but uh, at the time. I was what I thought was normal. Uh, the pastor, doctor, I'll even tell you who he was. It was Dr. Ben Smith up at Lakeland Baptist Church. I had been attending there at Lakeland. I was there when it was a little tiny church when there was nothing in Louisville, 5,000 total people. That's been a long time ago. But uh, when I started going to church there in Louisville, to tell you how I was, the pastor of that little church, when it was a little bitty tiny church, he came out to our house and visited with us. Uh, we had visited there uh, once or twice, and so it was a little tiny church, only a hundred people or something. And he came out to the house, and after he visited with us, uh, he got ready to leave, and he wanted to pray in our home. And I thought, pray at home? I mean, we pray in church. I mean, goodness gracious, I never prayed at home. Isn't that sad? But he was the first man I'd ever had come to my home that prayed a prayer at home. And I thought, boy, this guy must really be religious. You know, he wants to pray in church and at the house and everything else. I just go to show you where I was, you know. So some people, I've heard people now today say, gee, if I could only get where you are in your faith walk. Because some of you know me, some of you don't know me. But those of you that don't know me, when I say that, say, well, I don't, know, I don't know whether I want to be where he is or not. Well, let me tell you, where I walk today is a very, very, very wonderful place, but I am not happy where I am. I want to go beyond where I am. Now that I've learned what is available, you know, so I'm, I'm not happy. But I want to go ahead, but I, I want to teach you what I have learned and what you have to do to get there. But anyway, I used to go to church. I went to church all my life. Uh, and then when I moved to Louisville, I was at church on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, you know, Wednesday afternoon. And then we started uh, a Tuesday night Bible study. Well, I went to a Tuesday night Bible study, and and then I was asked to teach a Sunday school class. And uh, I'm an airline instructor at the time uh, for Braniff Airlines back there teaching systems and the simulator in the classroom on the Lockheed Electra and the DC-8. Well, I felt comfortable about that. But to teach the Word of God? I mean, <laughs> God's not supposed to make mistakes. But if He asked me to, to be a Bible teacher, let me tell you, He made a mistake. And I knew He did. So I, I thought, well, God's not perfect after all. 
You know, if he could call a crazy guy like me to teach his word, there's got to be something wrong with this God. But anyway, I started teaching a class, and it, as I started serving the Lord, I mean, I, I maintained the buses. I did everything. I, I just loved God with all my heart, but I never saw him do anything. didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what his word said. And so one day I made a statement. I said, uh, you know, I, I considered myself to be a normal Christian at the time. But now I don't consider myself to be normal. But Brother Ben says, I'm now normal, and then I was not normal. I said, what do you mean by that, Brother Ben? And he said, well, Thurman, a normal Christian comes to church on Sunday morning sometimes. But the abnormal ones come to church every Sunday morning and part of the time on Sunday night. But he said the supernatural ones, they come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night service, and then those super anointed ones comes on Tuesday night for visitation. And he said... You're even above that. He said, you do things beyond our wildest dreams around here. So I said, well, gee, I thought this was normal. I thought every Christian supposed to do these things. Well, now I find out every Christian is to put Jesus first, 24-7. That's what we are to do. But we don't do a very good job of it. So 27 years ago, I had a unique experience with God. I mean, I was normal at the time. I was serving him like I was telling you. I was a Bible study teacher at Lakeland Baptist Church in Louisville, Texas. I was seeking God diligently. I had never seen him do what I call a miracle. I had seen him do one healing when I was a young man. When I was about 18, 19, 20 years old, I had a tremendous problem come up in my body. And... uh, no doctor could heal it. They couldn't take care of it. They tried everything they knew, but nothing would take care of it. Well, I just thought, I may have to live with this problem all of my life. And then one day, a man came in and made a statement to me. He said, do you know Mrs. Klein can heal that problem? And I said, what? And at the place of business where I was working, and I said, no. And so I went home that evening and I told my mother, I lived, we lived in a little tiny town, about 12, 1,500 people, and everybody knew everybody. And I went home and I said, Mother, do you know that this problem that I have, a guy told me today that Mrs. Klein can heal this? And she said, well, son, she's in my Sunday school class. I said, I've never heard her talk about nothing like that. So she said, let's go see her. So we got in the car and we drove over there and I walked in, she looked at me and she said, boy, you've got it bad, don't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, how long you had it? And I told her about three or four years, whatever it was. She said, write your full name down on a piece of paper for me. I said, what? She said, write your full name down on a piece of paper. She handed me a piece of paper, and I wrote Thurman Lee Scrivener down on a piece of paper. She looked at that piece of paper, and she said, okay. She said, you're healed. It's done. What do you mean? I mean, it's still here. No, she said, it'll go away. I guarantee it'll go away. I thought, what do I need to do? She said, nothing. It's okay. And so my mother and I left that day totally confused. I mean, I had no idea. You know, if she didn't pray for me, she didn't do nothing. She just had me write my name down on a piece of paper. About three or four weeks later, I happened to look at my flesh 
and I was completely healed. There was not a thing wrong with me. I, I, I didn't even know it had gone away. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. I mean, I was awestruck. And I, I told Mother, I said, Mom, look. And she said, well, I haven't even noticed. It's all gone. You're completely healed. So, man, we run over to town. We run by the store. We buy a little present. And we run up to Miss Klein's house. And we run in there and tell her, look. Sure enough, I am healed. Oh, she said, I knew it. And I said, how did you know it? She said, well, it's simple. Thurman, I just prayed for you. I said, you done what? She said, I just prayed for you. I said, you mean this happened because you prayed? And she said, yes. And I said, how did you do this? And she said, you know, I'm going to tell you how I do this. She said, I don't really tell people how I do this. But she said, I know God's going to use you in a special way. And so I'm going to tell you how I do this. I said, okay. So we go in a room and she tells me a simple little prayer she quotes from the Word of God. A simple little prayer. A scripture and then she prays a simple little prayer and she prayed it three times and then said, thank you, Lord. It's done because it's written in your Word. And sure enough, in a few weeks, I was healed. Well, I quoted that simple little prayer over probably 10,000 times at least. But did I ever have the faith to use it? No. Never did. Years and years came and went. I'm still in church every time the doors open. But I never see God do anything. Finally, one day, I run into a young man who had the same problem I did. And I looked at him and I asked him, I said, would you like to be healed? And he said, yes. And I told him, I said, write your name down on a piece of paper for me. <laughs> if it worked for her and it came out of the word of God, it's got to work for me. Or at least I'm trembling and thinking maybe it will. <clears throat> so anyway... I take his name, and I go home, and for the first time in my life, I get down on my knees in fear and trembling, and I quote the Word of God, and I pray that simple prayer. About three or four weeks later, that young man called screaming. He said, Thurman, you told me I would be healed, and he said, I am, and the words that came out of my mouth were, you don't mean it. <laughs> I mean, we are an unbelieving church. We don't believe in the king that we serve. We say we do, but we don't believe this book. So anyway, I saw God do that first little insignificant thing, which was very significant to me. Very significant to that young man. So that began to drive me to this book. I mean, yeah, I'd been a Sunday school teacher now for a long time, but I still hadn't been, had not seen God do anything. You know, I didn't know how to pray for people. I really didn't. I just didn't understand it because I had nobody to teach me. I had no examples. And so... <clears throat> I was reading this book now. I thought, if these simple, this little prayer that I prayed 
from a promise in God's Word. And it got me healed when I was a young child. And it got this other young man healed. I thought, if that little prayer worked, maybe there's something else in here that I need to find. And so I started reading this book. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Because if you read this book and you believe this book, you find out real quick there's some things you're going to have to change as a Christian. You cannot walk there. Well, nobody had ever taught me these things. And, of course, my question became shortly after I started reading this book, why are some people sick and why are some people not sick? Why are some people saved and why are some people not saved? I thought, this don't make any sense to me. I mean, here we're living in a town with 1,000 people, 1,500 people, and back in those days, they all seemed to be fairly decent people. You know, people didn't do the things that we do blatantly today. We didn't have very much sickness and disease back in those days. I can remember hardly no sickness in our home, maybe a little, but not a whole lot. But I still didn't understand why some people were sick and some people were not sick. I just, it, I thought, there's got to be an answer to this. And people say, well, God makes people like this. And I thought, you know, I'm not sure I believe that. You know, if God makes people sick, then why do we go to doctors and try to get well? You know, I said, Lord, there's something wrong with this picture. I don't understand it. So I talked to people after I thought about my own healing, and then I thought about this young man I prayed for, and he was healed. I thought, why? Why? And so I began to research this book, and I'd go to pastors, and I'd say, you know, do we ever pray for people for healing? Well, oh yeah, on Wednesday night we have a prayer deal, you know, where we pray for people. I said, well, you know, that's really, I don't see much of a prayer. I don't see us quote the Word, you know, really to do what the Word of God says. I don't see that. So why don't we pray for people and expect God to do something? I said, well, Thurman, we don't know what his will is. So we have to pray, if it be your will, Lord. And so I started reading this book, and I thought, you know, Lord, if none of these people, including the doctors of theology that I've run into, knows what his will is, then if this is his last will and testament, maybe I ought to read the will and see what his will is. And so I started reading the will. And when I started reading the will, then I found out, it's not even questionable, is it God's will to heal you? It's not even a question. When I began to read this book, I found out that God healed every one of us on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's in the atonement. It's in the atonement. And it's not, is it God's will to heal you? Are you going to get your healing? No, it's already there. It's already waiting for you to take it away from the enemy by force with it is written. When you get a hold of this, when you get a hold of these promises that I'm going to show you today, 
as God has revealed them to me through these supernatural experiences I've had, because I knew none of these things, but I was seeking him diligently, wanting to know the truth. And 27 years ago, my experiences started with God. I was a normal, traditional Christian from what I've observed from everybody that I've met that I went to church with. People that love God, that didn't just go out blatantly and sin, or at least if they sinned, they didn't do it openly. But I found out many of them were doing it behind closed doors. I was studying the Word of God one night, and I turned this, I was reading in Deuteronomy. I came up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. I was preparing to teach a Bible study lesson. When I got to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, I read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And right there, my first supernatural experience with God happened 27 years ago. The king of the universe, Jesus, walked into my study and spoke to me in an audible voice. Now, I'm going to tell you. When he speaks to you in an audible voice, a voice that you can hear just like I'm hearing my voice right now, he didn't speak to me through the Spirit. He spoke to me audibly. I heard his voice. I heard it as clear as I'm listening to my voice right now. And this is what he said. He said, Son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. That's not difficult to get, is it? Well, it was so startling, so shocking to me that God would speak to me in that voice. I mean, I was startled. I thought, Lord, you got a message for me in the next few verses? Well, my goodness gracious, let me see what these next few verses say. So I began to read those verses. Now, Moses was talking to the children of Israel, and he was telling the children of Israel exactly what they needed to do if they wanted their children to walk with God. And I'm going to tell you, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is as good for you today as it was for Moses 2,000 or three or 4,000 years ago as it is for any one of us today. And if you will do what that book says, you can raise godly children. If you don't do what that book says, the devil's going to get your children. And you're not going to like the results if what he's going to do to them because he's going to steal, kill, and destroy your children. And so if you don't do what this book says, I'm going to guarantee you your children are going to go astray. Guarantee it. Because God said it in His Word. So many people today wonder why they're sick. Wonder why their children have gone astray. And I'm going to tell you, all the answers are in this book. Sometimes when I teach them, people don't like them. I've had people say, you know, I have a real problem listening to this guy because I don't like what he says. Well, let me tell you what I tell you. It comes out of this book. And if you don't like what I say, then you take it up with God because this is where I got my information, right here in this book. So I'm going to show you exactly what he said. Now, as he spoke to me and he showed me what I was supposed to do with my children, for the first time in my life that night, I started having a Bible teaching time in my home with my children. Now, my children, my son, I had a brand new baby daughter. She was one month old. And I had a son that was two years old. I had never read the Word of God to those children at home. 
I never prayed over those children at home at that time, although I was a deacon in a Baptist church, a Sunday school teacher. All those things went to church every time the door was open. I didn't realize the importance of teaching my children the Word of God and praying over them at, at home. But I got revelation from the Lord. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, when you get a rhema, a direct word from God out of His Word, it's something you're supposed to do. Most people will do it. So I started doing it. And so for a couple of years, I was diligently teaching my children and praying with them and my wife the Word of God. I didn't tell anybody at church that I'd heard God's voice. I was afraid to. Now, I've now learned because I've taught right here in this church, not in this room, but in another big room over here to the side, I don't know, a year or two ago. I don't know, to 100 people, I guess, on a Saturday. I was there five hours from 9 o'clock till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And some of you may have been in that meeting. I don't know. But as you teach the Word of God, you've got to realize that this book means exactly what it says. And when you teach people God's Word, they have to adhere to it. And I had a pastor here tell me a story, uh, something that happened about hearing God's voice as I told them about that. And he may be here today, but I don't remember his name, so uh, I'll tell you this story because I won't use any names. After I'd made a statement how I'd heard God's voice, he told me, he says, uh, he came up to me and told me this story. Now, there's a whole bunch of them there, so nobody will know who he is. I couldn't even tell you who he is today. If he walked right up in front of me, I wouldn't know him today. But this was his story. I remembered his story. He said, you know, Thurman, I've heard God's voice once myself. I said, and you want to tell me the story? He said, yes, I do. He said, I'd already been to seminary, and I'd graduated, and I was pastoring a church, the way I remember the story. And he said, "Uh, my wife and I had a problem. Now, I know that None of y'all that are married ever had a problem with your spouse. Is that true? I don't think I ever met a human being, a man and a woman, that hadn't had a problem of some kind. Because you know why we have problems? Because there's a devil in this world. And we listen to that beast instead of God's Word. We all are guilty. Well, he, he was guilty the same way. He said, my wife and I had a problem. And he said... Uh, we weren't speaking. And so he said, I was downtown somewhere and shopping or something and just happened to be an old high school sweetheart happened to walk in. He met her, talked to her. She had been married. She's divorced. And so she ran up and hugged him and talked to him and and first thing you know, they're really friendly and then he's asking her to you know, would you Let's go over and have something to eat or something or something to drink. And, and so they're getting a little friendlier. And first thing you know, they wind up in a place where they're not supposed to be. The enemy, he's good at what he does. And he said, when we get to a point and I'm fixing to do something, I know I'm not supposed to do. He said, I heard a voice behind me say, I'll just call, I'll just use the name John. He said, John, do you know what you're fixing to do is wrong? 
And he said, I turned to see who was speaking because I thought me and her were the only two people in that room. But remember that when you start to sin, you ain't never by yourself. This is the thing that will change your life when you realize last night they were talking about God was in this place. I'm going to tell you, I guarantee God was in this place because I don't know about you, but I brought him with me when I come. I know he's here because I'm here. And if you're a born-again Christian, he's in you. So wherever you are, he is. And so you don't have to worry about God being in this place. Yes, I can assure you he was here. But then he also said there was angels here. Well, I can assure you they are here too, both good ones and bad ones. Good and bad. So you are never alone. When you get a hold of that, it'll change the way you do business. I'm going to tell you that today there's so many young people in the church that don't know that the invisible world is more real than the visible world. The invisible world is going to be eternal. But the visible world you and I see is going to pass away. But the invisible world that you and I see is what controls the visible world. When you learn these things, you will stop sinning. You will watch what you say with your mouth. You will control everything you do because, let me say this to you right now and then I'll confirm it and prove it to you from Scripture a little later during the teaching. That when you sin, even if you're walking out there by yourself in the middle of nowhere in the pitch of night and there's not a light and you're in the foreign deserts of Saudi Arabia at, at pitches dark, you're not alone. God is with you, angels are with you, and the devil is with you, or at least his demons. There's probably many of you in this room the devil don't know by first name. But he's got a demon or a set of demons that's assigned to you. They know you very well. There's not a single one of us exempt from this. Now, I want you to see this picture. When you read Romans chapter 13, you find out, and I read that I don't know how many times, and I thought God was talking totally, completely about the physical world. About the laws of the land. So he tells you, don't go out and break the laws of the land. Be subject to the powers and authorities. So, you know, at first I read that and I only saw one side of the picture. Now, all of us can know and understand that out here in this physical world you and I live in, we have to have laws. Those laws are based totally around the laws of God's Word. In other words, every place we go, if you get more than two people together, you have to have a law. Because one of them is going to infringe on the other one's rights if you don't have a law. When you go out here on this highway, we've got speed limits out here. 30 miles an hour at some places, 45 miles at some place, 50, 55, 60, 65 miles an hour. And if you're living in grace, if you're living in grace, you buy your car, you pay for it. You take it again and, and you get a license plate for it and you pay for it. And you get an insurance certificate and you pay for it. And you go down and you pass a driver's license test and you pay for it. 
And if your driver's license is current, your insurance is current, your sticker's current, everything's current on your car according to the grace that they give you to drive on the laws of this land. Then you go out there and get on the highway. You can drive your car anywhere you want to freely. You don't have to be concerned. Police officers can be sitting around on certain corners. You can drive anywhere you want to. You have absolutely no fear until you break one of those rules. In other words, fall from grace. Let's say your inspection sticker expires. You've just fell from grace. You've broken the rules. You've transgressed the law. And so now then, if you're caught, they can give you a ticket. They might not give you a ticket. They might give you a warning, depending on how far out of date it is. Or if you're driving 5 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, you have failed from grace of the land. Now then, you've transgressed the law, and you have... They have legal right to stop you, and they will do that, and they will give you a ticket. I thought, gee, this system is so simple. It's so simple. I live in grace, as long as I meet all the requirements. I can do anything I want to, go anywhere I want to, and no police officer, no power or authority can touch me. And all of you know that. And what amazes me is Christians... We know the laws of the land. God told us clearly in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the land. So if we're told by our king, through the apostle Paul, to obey the laws of the land, then why does any Christian ever get a speeding ticket? Why do you break those laws? If you break those laws as a Christian, do you get a ticket? Whenever that officer stops you and you say, I'm sorry, sir, I'm a pastor of a church and I'm going to church. I don't carry no weight. He said, you were driving 70 in a 55 mile an hour zone. I'm sorry. Let me see your license and your insurance. Well, I'm sorry. I don't have my billfold with me today and I don't have any insurance. Well, let me tell you, you're in big trouble. It don't make no difference if you're the pastor or what you are. You're in big trouble. He can take you off to jail if he wants to. And sometimes they do that. You have fell from grace. Does that mean you're not a citizen? No, you're still a citizen. You just fell from grace and broke the law of the land. Now then, if you pay that ticket, in other words, you repent, you pay that ticket, you can be back in grace now. As long as you don't break the laws of the land, you're okay. When I learned that the spiritual world works exactly the same way, I'm telling you, it changed the way I've done business. The Lord says for his children, now for the church, I'm going to give you grace. And we think, man, that's a free ticket to do what I want to do. I'm telling you, walking in grace is harder than walking under the law. I'm going to tell you, it's harder. Because walking in grace, the requirements are tougher. Just like Jesus said, he said, under the law, you've heard it said that if you commit murder, you're guilty. But as I tell you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. You ever been mad at anybody? You're a murderer. You fell from grace when you did that. The Lord says, you have heard it said that if you commit adultery, if you lie with a woman... That's not, you're not married to, you're guilty of adultery. But he said, I tell you, under grace, 
that if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Let me tell you, it's a whole lot harder to walk under grace than it was under law. And you can't do it without God. That's why I learned years ago, I learned that, in fact, I started noticing something I noticed about women. When I learned this, I learned, Lord, how can I possibly look at a beautiful woman as a young man and not lust for that woman? And I thought, Lord, you made these women beautiful. You know, you made them like you did with all the shapes and curves and everything they have. So how, what am I supposed to do? And he told me, he said, look at them one place, son. I said, what? Where? He said, look right in their eyes. He said, every time you look at a woman, look at her in the face. And he said, then you won't ever lust after her body. I saw I started doing what he told me. And something I observed, something I noticed. I started paying attention, and every time I would see a lady coming down the street, I would, if I turned to look at her, I would look at her right in her eyes. And if she happened to look at me, you know, I never, ever in my life, and I've tried this for the last 30 years, you know where every woman looks at every man the first time she looks at him in his eyes. I have never seen a woman that looked at me that I was looking at that the first place I didn't have was eye contact with that woman. I don't care who she is. I don't care if I knew her or not. I've walked down the streets of Paris, walked down the streets of London. I've walked down the streets of Japan. I was an international airline pilot, and I have traveled all over the world. I've walked down the streets of Bangkok, Thailand, right where there was prostitutes all over the place. Downtown Dallas, where beautiful women were on the side of the street, were prostitutes. It didn't matter whether they were a prostitute or whether they were a queen. It made no difference. When I looked at them, if they looked at me, every one of them was looking at me in the eye. Every woman looks at a man. First of all, she wants to know what he's thinking. And if you're looking at her in the eye... When she looks, nearly every woman will immediately look off somewhere else. She won't hold eye contact with you. She'll just look off, unless you know her. If you know her, then she may continue to hold eye contact with you for a while. But when I learned that secret, I learned that I can look at any woman and never lust for a woman. And so I learned that at a young age. And so I stopped lusting. It, my problem went totally, completely away. You don't, you don't have to do it. But when you, another reason that I wanted to stop lusting, I realized that if I looked at a woman under grace and I began to entertain lust, and it would always come to my mind, always, it's like there was a supernatural power putting a thought in my mind to lust for that woman. I mean, I was a married man. I didn't, I wasn't needy in the area of sexuality. I had a wife at home, and she was a good woman. I didn't have any problems. So why would you be out somewhere in the world and be gone a day or two or three and then look at another woman to lust for her? And I realized that there was a supernatural power called demons. And these demons were putting thoughts in my mind when I look at a woman to try to get my eyes to look at her in the wrong place. 
And the minute I began to entertain those thoughts, he grew. The demon I'm talking about. The devil has no power over you until you give it to him. Our king came to this earth 2,000 years ago, and according to this book, he defeated and destroyed the devil. He took all of his power away from him, and he gave all that power to the church, to us, the body of Christ. The church he gave that power to. And I thought, as I was learning these things over the years, I thought, Lord, if you have defeated the devil... If you've given us all power over this beast, then why is it the beast seems to be running everywhere, I, everything, everywhere I go? Because we yield to him. We give him power. And as we give him power, he grows. Now, as this demon of lust, which like John says, I saw these wicked spirits like frogs. I've come to realize this is a demon of lust. That John was explaining in the book of Revelation. And this beast, when a man and a woman come together anywhere and you look at a woman in the wrong place or she looks at you in the wrong place, then, and usually it's the man's side, that demon will really begin to work on the man. When he begins to work on the man, when you yield to those thoughts, he begins to grow and he gets bigger. And then he puts more thoughts in your mind. And you yield to those thoughts. And as you yield to those thoughts, he gets bigger. And he gets bigger. Until finally you yield to him and he comes in and possesses you. When that demon of lust comes into you, now then you as a born again Christian have an evil spirit dwelling in your flesh and your temple. He's in there. Now he will control you. He will really cause you to look. Before, when you didn't have a problem looking at a woman. Once you yielded and that devil comes in, now then every time you look at a woman, instead of looking at her in her eyes, you want to look at her somewhere else. And when you look at her somewhere else, then you're giving place to another demon. And first thing you know, you've got these things in you and you're, they're beginning to get bigger and more of them and more of them. And they're beginning to control you. And then you become finally uncontrollable. And that's why, as I have dealt in the ministry, out in the, in the field, not as a, I was not a pastor. I was not an evangelist. I learned all these things working in the workforce with God, with supernatural visions and supernatural speaking from God to me, explaining these things to me, how they work. But they're all right here in this book, too. When I learned that I could have a demon as a Christian, I asked that question to many a pastor and many a doctor of theology. And the answer to me from every one of them was, No, Thurman, you're a Christian. It would be impossible for a Christian to have a demon inside of your physical body. So if I was taught that, that it was impossible, then I thought I was... Not vulnerable. So I didn't have to worry about it. But God, I sought him and he told me the truth. One night I was sitting there and the way he revealed this to me years ago. When high speed computers came out in 1980. 
Anybody remember the four megahertz green screen machine? High speed computers. I mean, I'm not even a typer and I could out type one of those four megahertz machines. Amazing. That sounds a long ways from a 2.8 gigahertz today, doesn't it? But anyway, when we had those things, it changed my life. I had software that I could now look up things much more rapid. I had things synchronized in there with my Bible study programs where I could bring the Hebrew and the Greek and the Hebrew and Greek dictionaries and everything in at just click on a word, and it would synchronize all of them together at one time. So what it used to take me hours to look up, now I can look them up in a heartbeat. And this was back in, in the early 80s. So one night I was sitting there, I'd been seeking God about spirits. I said, Lord, I don't understand the spirit world. It's all over this book. You're talking about the spirit world. I got to know more about the spirit world. I would be running along there and God's, you know, I, I was reading over there in Kings one day, First Kings, where the Lord had a board meeting in heaven. I mean, I thought God knew everything. But he had a board meeting. And he calls all these spirits in. He said, how are we going to take care of Ahab? Anybody ever read that story? I thought, what do you mean, God? You know how to take care of it. And one of them said, I know what I'll do. I'll go down there and become a lying spirit in the mouth of Ahab. He said, that'll do it. That'll do it. Do you think God has board meetings? I mean, obviously he does. He wrote it in his book. I mean, I used to think God just run the universe by himself. He didn't need no help. But obviously... He's got a board, and he's got angels and spirits that he talks to and sees what they think is the way to do things. And then, obviously, he lets them do some of the things that they discuss because it's written in the book. And so this spirit came down and became a lying spirit. And I thought, wow, all these different spirits, these things are, seem to be controlling everything. Spirits. So I went back to the Word of God, and I'd done a lookup on spirits of. It was hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. And I sat down, and I read these things about spirits of whatever. There's every kind of unclean spirit, evil spirits, spirits of lying, spirits of infirmity. You name it. It's in the book. So I was reading for hours. And I finally come over to Luke 13:11, where the Word of God says that this woman was loosed from the spirit of infirmity, which had bound her for 18 years, and she could in no wise straighten herself up. Now, what did she have? A spirit of infirmity in her flesh, and it bound her over, and she could in no wise straighten herself up. An invisible being inside of her flesh... That caused her to be crippled. Jesus loosed her from that spirit and instantly she was made whole. That's written in the Word of God. So I read that that night and when I read that, the Lord spoke to me again in that audible voice. Just as clear as a bell, I'm sitting in front of a computer, don't have a clue God's anywhere around. And he said, son, you have one of those living in your body. I said, Lord, I have a spirit of infirmity living in my body? He said, yes, son. I said, Lord, infirmity means sickness or weakness, and I am not sick and I'm not weak. 
I said, so what in the world is it? He said, it's your athlete's foot. I said, Lord, athlete's foot is a spirit? He said, yes, son. And he said, in my name, you have authority over it. Now, wait a minute. I'd had athlete's foot since I was a, a young teenager. How did it get there? I have no idea. But it got there somehow. And I'd had it so bad for many years. In fact, when I went to Vietnam in the war, I almost, I got to where I couldn't get to a doctor. And I had no idea that I was fighting two enemies. One of them I could see sometimes. But the other one I couldn't see. He was invisible and he, I was carrying him with me. He was in my boot. But the one that was out there that was trying to kill me, I could see, was the physical world. But the invisible one, which was living in my boot in the form of a spirit of infirmity, was eating away my toes. And when I finally got to where I could get to a doctor, he made a statement. He said, son, I was a young man, early, mid-twenties. He said, if you hadn't got here when you did, he said, it wouldn't have been long. He said, we might have had to amputate a couple of your toes. He said, they're eat completely to the bone. The skin, the meat is eat completely to the bone. Who would ever dream? The doctor told me that was a fungus. Let me tell you, that was a demon. That was a demon. I've now learned that all sickness and disease starts in the spirit world. All of it. So that night when the Lord told me, I had had this now for, since I was a teenager, and I'm probably 35, 40 years old by this time. I'd had this thing. I mean... I, I was an engineer by this time. I, the airline pilot, I was an airline pilot and everything, but I, that company I was working for went bankrupt, and I was now uh, working as a regional engineer for a large corporation. I'm traveling all over the country, all over the world, really, building buildings, designing equipment. And every time I'd stay in a hotel, I'd say, I'm going to wear my socks. I'm not going to step on the carpet because I'll get that fungus. It must be in the carpet. I didn't realize it was a demon. That's a little bit hard to stomach as a Southern Baptist. But believe me, I've got over that. I've got over being a Southern Baptist. You know, I've got over being a normal Christian. I'm just, now then, I'm a man of God that believes the Word. I don't care what kind of label you hang on you. I don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist, non-denomination, whatever you are. Do you believe what's written in this book? That's the only thing I care about. But anyway, I turned that night and done something that the average Christian would have thought I was crazy. But I'd spent all this time with God trying to learn how these spirits work. I turned my legs out of their computer desk, looked down at my feet, and I took the Word of God and I commanded that demon of infirmity to leave me. In the name of Jesus, I commanded that thing to leave. Well, let me tell you, it left. I didn't feel anything. I didn't see anything. But the next morning when I woke up, I had no athlete's foot. And that's been well over 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. I don't, it's at least probably at least 25 years ago. I have never had a reoccurrence of athlete's foot since that day. Now, somebody say, you know, that's, that's absurd. I don't believe that. Okay. Let me tell you. That's why we're sick as Christians, because we don't get in this book and we don't understand who the spirits are. I'm going to tell you that the Word of God has made you a promise. Now, I'm going to read a scripture to you that I've written down here on this little outline I've made. And it's over in Exodus 15:25. This was under the law. When I read this promise, Exodus 15:25 or 26, 
Exodus 15, 26, and said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. You need to stop and think about that. If you will do what? Diligently. That doesn't mean flippantly. It doesn't mean just passively. It means get in there and do something diligent. There's a big difference between just doing something and doing diligently. But if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in His sight, not your sight, do that which is right in His sight and will give ear to His commandments, all of His commandments, and keep all of His statutes, not part of them or the ones you agree with, but all of them, God says, I will put none of these diseases. I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. What was the requirement to have no sickness? To diligently hearken to the word of God and to do all his commandments and statutes. Not part of them, all of them. You know why we as Christians don't do that today? Because we don't know what the book says. Most of us have never read it through one time, much less studied it like he told us to. That was my problem. And then another uh, statement he made in Exodus 23, verse 25, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Now that was under the law. Now, if God was going to do that under the law, and if you don't know, as a Christian, we have a covenant with God. And it's based on better principles than the law. If there was to be no sickness and no disease under the law, then where should Christians walk? We should have no sickness and no disease. Well, my question was, why? Are we sick? If these people was promised under the law that God himself would take all sickness and disease away from them and they would have no sickness and no disease as children of his under the law, then why is it the church is so sick? I mean, there's got to be an answer to that. Why did I have the problem with my athlete's foot all those years? Because of a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. Was it God's will for me to have that? Absolutely not. I had no idea that he had paid the price for that way back before. So when I begin to study this book in detail, when I begin to see what God had said in his word under the law, that he would take all sickness and disease away from us and we would have none, I begin to question, well, what is the problem, Lord? Why, why, why do we have sickness and disease in the church? Why? Well, if under the law he told you to do all of his commandments and keep all of his statutes, do you think God's changed when he come to grace? No, he got more, more stringent. In fact, under the law, he says... All of the law and prophets is fulfilled in this, 
that you love one another. Now then, when I begin to learn these things, I thought, as I'm spending hours with God, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many thousand hours I spent studying this book. But as I would read these things, I thought, Lord, this stuff don't make no sense to me at all. If this book is true, and it's got to be true, because I think as an I had a man ask me a question the other day. He said, Thurman, you're an engineer, and you're, you're very educated. He said, how in the world, being so educated, are, are you able to walk in such great faith? He said, most people that are educated, they can't do this. And I said, well, it worked positive for, for me. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, when I was an airline pilot, whether it was a Lockheed Electra I was a flying, four-engine turboprop, or when I moved over into the DC-8s, began to fly those DC-8s international all over the world, I always took the owner's manual with me. I never got on that airplane without that book. Never. Because you had to refer to that book all the time. I mean, if some of you men in here may be airline pilots, if you are, I haven't been for many a year, but at one time I was an international pilot and I flew them big beasts all over this world. I'm going to tell you, if I got on there today and I was still a pilot, and you people are intelligent people, I were to call over the PA and I say, folks, the runway here is only 7,000 feet long. Now then, with the load that we have today and the fuel that's required to go where we're going to go, the book says we need a runway with a minimum of 8,000 feet. We only have seven. And also, the book says that we need 100,000 pounds of fuel with a number of people to the distance we're going to get there and then go to our alternate and all the things that the book says we've got to do. But they only had 80,000 pounds in storage, so we don't put that 80,000 on. We got a total of 80,000 pounds. We're 20,000 pounds short of what the book says, and the runway is 1,000 feet short of what the book says we got to have to get off. But we're going to go ahead and try anyway and see if we can get there. How many of y'all want to go with me? I mean, the airplane's going to unload. I mean, you ain't that dumb. But that's the way we live our life. As Christians, with the owner's manual. The owner's manual says don't sin. How many of you think you can live every day without sin? You know the owner's manual says no sin. The owner's manual says you're to die to sin and live in righteousness. People have grown up with a mentality. Well, I'm just an unworthy sinner. Yes, you used to be an unworthy sinner. But now then, according to the book in 2 Corinthians 5, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. According to Colossians 2 and Colossians 1, Colossians 1 says, When you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, He reached over there in the miry pit of hell, and He delivered you out of the kingdom of hell and translated you into the kingdom of light. He put a white robe on you. Why in the world do we take those white robes and go back yet into the devil's world and live in sin? Let me tell you, when you get a hold of the spirit world, how it works, that when you get delivered out of his kingdom and translated over here into the kingdom of light and you put on your white robe, the devil is constantly working on your mind to draw you back into his world. Because sickness and disease is in his world. 
There is no sickness and disease over here in God's world. None. Somebody said, well, when's the last time you were sick? Well over 20 years ago. I have not had a sick day in well over 20 years. I'm going to tell you it's fun walking in divine health. It's no fun living in sickness and disease. Somebody said, well, what brings sickness and disease? Sin. Sin. And I'm going to tell you, if every father and mother in here realized that the most devastating thing you can do as a Christian is get a grudge or an unforgiveness towards someone. The Word of God clearly says in His Word that you as a Christian, if you as the husband or you as the wife get into unforgiveness, it would open the door to the demonic world to not only you and your spouse, but to your children and everything that you own will become legal right of the devil. And that's written clearly for you in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. 18, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus makes you and me some awesome statements as Christians. Now, I want to take you there in Matthew 18, and I want to show you some, and I'm going to tell you a few of the things I've seen God do with this mighty verse. But the thing I want you to know is the thing that's the most important that you must know that these awesome promises in this Word all revolve around your walking in love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Your faith worketh through or by love. So if you're not walking in love, forget it. You come to God and ask Him for something, He's not going to do anything for you. You're going to get virtually nothing from God until you do it His way. He wrote the owner's manual. So we have an enemy out there that understands this book in depth. He knows it far better than any of us do. And so he knows if he can get legal right to us, he can make us sick and afflict us. He knows until we fall from grace, transgress the law, he cannot touch us. So if you walk in love... You don't ever fall from grace. You don't ever transgress the law of God. Now, when I say fall from grace, I used to think when you fell from grace, you lost your salvation. That's not true. You don't lose your salvation when you fall from grace. When you fall from grace, you sin. And when you sin, you transgress God's law and you give the devil legal right to run in your life. And that's why people are sick and afflicted. Now, then, if you walk in love... You stay above the law, you stay in grace, and up there you're under the total protection of the king. He will keep the, you from the snare of the fowler, the devil, and he will not be able to touch you. Now, this is written all over his word. And if we have time today, I will show you many of these places of what God said in his word. So you'll know this is just not something I've come up with. But whenever I read this verse in Matthew 18, 19, I'm going to tell you, this verse right here, Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, what kind of a promise is that to an obedient child of God? 
That's a blank check. He didn't put any limitations on it. And then if you want to go check it out, you can run over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, and somebody said, well, yeah, but God can say yes and he can say no to his promises. That's not true either. That's something we've heard, but that's not true. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he said, if you're in Christ, the answer to all of his promises are yes and amen every time. It's never no. It's always yes. But it's only to the obedient children walking in love. Now then, when you get a hold of this scripture right here, in fact, Matthew 18, 19, I might tell you right here how I use this scripture. I'll just give you one or two simple little examples. Because when I realized that God meant what he said right there, and if I would walk in obedience, walk in love, I could really literally do what he said right there. And I could ask for anything, either for myself or someone else, and he would do it for me. And, of course, he will do it in his time frame. But usually it happens fairly fast. But in 1995, I began to learn these things. I began to believe these. Ten years ago is when I really stepped into the realm of faith. Really. Really, really began to step into faith. There was a young couple. I was teaching this in a Baptist church and, and teaching different things like this, that these scriptures meant what they said. I was teaching the entire word of God means what it says. You know, Jesus didn't make it hard to understand. When he said, don't sin, that's what he meant. Don't sin. If you do, there's consequences. And when, when he goes so far to say, now if you sin, don't make sure you don't sin to sin unto death. Because if you do, there ain't nothing you can do, you're going to die. And all sin brings forth death. I thought, well, Lord, what's the sin of unto death? He said, I'm not telling you. That way you won't take a chance. <laughs> don't sin, he said, because if you commit the sin unto death... Hey, that's kind of like, what would you do today if I were to say, okay, I've got a 38 revolver here in, in my coat, and I'm going to take it out, and I'm going to empty all six of the bullets out, and I'm going to lay them right here and let you look through all these six holes, and there ain't nothing in there. I'm just going to pick up one bullet and put it in one hole, and then I'm going to spin the cylinder, and then I'm going to cock it and pull it back, and I want somebody that believes they can get five right holes come up here and put it at your head and pull the trigger. I hope there ain't nobody in here stupid enough to do that. But that's what we do as Christians every time we sin. Every time we sin, we're taking a chance on sinning the sin unto death. And when you do, there is nothing can pray you out of the sin unto death. I've experienced that with a few people. I've had God tell me that's why some people I couldn't get healed, why they died. Because they had committed the sin unto death. But this, I was teaching these things in a Baptist church. And one morning at a Sunday school class, a young couple... Uh, they had an 11-year-old son and a smaller daughter. They came to, came to me actually. They came to me after church and called me and said, "Thurman, uh, we've never heard the Word of God taught like this in our life." And said, uh, uh, "We have a problem. Would you come over to our home this afternoon?" And I said, "Sure." So after uh, church was over, I went over to their home, and they brought their little 11-year-old son in, and he sat down beside me, and that little boy's body was covered with warts. I mean, he had warts in his eyebrows, in his eyelids. He had them all over his, up in his face, up under his, in his nose. He couldn't hardly breathe. He had warts all over his neck, around his mouth. And they were as big as the end of your finger. He had them all over the backs of his hands, under his fingernails, all over the palms. And then he had them many places, up and down his body. And he said, Mr. Scrivener, I hate it because everybody at school calls me warty. I said, son, I know how evil and wicked people are. But I said, you know, there's something you need to know about God. 
I said, he's a faith God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. I said, so I can guarantee you today, if you and your mom and dad will do what I tell you, that we can get those warts all taken off your body. Because the promises are in God's Word. By this time, I had become a substandard Baptist. I'm taking this word, if it be your will, out of my vocabulary. Because now I've read the will and I know what his will is. And so as I've done that, I'm praying for people in faith and I am seeing God do some pretty wonderful things. Well, when I get up there that day with Philip and his mom and dad, I first of all tell them all, I said, you've got to make sure every sin is repented of. So they went through their life and they checked out and and they repented. Daddy repented, mother repented, the boy repented, the little girl, seven years or eight years old, whatever she was, she repented of her sins. Everybody repented. We made sure there was no unforgiveness or nothing. And I spent probably a couple hours, two and a half hours or whatever with that couple that afternoon building their faith from God's Word. Because the Lord said, without faith, without knowledge of the Word of God, you can't please me. He said, you just don't come to me and ask me to do something just because. He said, you come to me on behalf of my Word. He said, I watch over my Word to perform my Word. So if you won't see God do something, you've got to know something about this book. So anyway, after I spent all that time with him, I turned and looked at little Philip. I said, Philip, son, do you believe that Jesus that I've been reading about this afternoon can take all these warts and scars and everything off of your body? He said, Mr. Scrivener, after what I've heard you read out of that book today with all those promises, I believe Jesus can do anything. Well, now that's the kind of faith the king's looking for. That I believe he can do anything. Why? Because he said he could in his word. He didn't say he could do anything. He said in Ephesians 3.20, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can even think or imagine according to the power that worketh in you. Where's the power? It's in you and me as Christians. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. So anyway, after we got all their sins repented of. Now, Philip had had these warts on his body since he was three. They started coming upon his body at three. Does mom and daddy go to church? Yes. Why did he have them from three till eleven? Because of a lack of knowledge of the promises of God. So anyway... On the back of each right hand, they had tar- his grandmother was a nurse. So they had taken him to the doctor, and the doctors had finally burned two big rows of warts off the top of the back of his right hand. And the warts all came right back in the scars and left two huge scars. Those things were a quarter inch wide, two inches long on the top of the back of his hand, two of them. What's Matthew eighteen nineteen say you can ask the king for? Anything? You reckon that would include warts and scars? Somebody said, now wait a minute, I believe he might be able to take them warts off, but them scars. Well, if that's where your faith level is, then shame on you. But mine wasn't there either for a long time. But now then, I mean, scars, that's a piece of cake for the king. I mean, warts and scars is a literal piece of cake. If you're walking in love, you get your sins repented of, and you come to him on these kingdom promises. Is this a promise to the kingdom? Are we in the kingdom? Absolutely. We're children of the king. He's our king. And he's the one that made the promise. Jesus said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. He didn't say maybe. He didn't say if it be your will or his will. He said you can ask for anything. 
Well, all you've got to do is believe that and make sure your sins are repented of and make sure you're walking in love. Because if you're not, your faith will not work. Can you imagine with those kind of blank promises in his word, if he hadn't put a requirement in there to walk in love? In other words, let's look at it like this. Here is God over here, and here's these, here's these promises, and here's all these switches. Love. If you're walking in love, that switch is closed. If you're walking in forgiveness, total forgiveness, that switch is closed. If you're walking in knowledge of the Word, that switch is closed. So if that power can go through all of those switches, but you get any switch in that line that's opened, God's power don't come through. Now, if He hadn't made it like that, you could have took any heathen out here anywhere, and he could have opened the Bible and read that and said, God, I want a new Lexus. And God would have had to give it to him. But no, he's a disobedient child. He may not even be God's child. So that's why he don't answer our prayer in the church. is because we don't believe him. We're disobedient. We don't have our sins repented of. We don't walk in love. And so when we come to him and ask him for something, it doesn't happen. So we say, well, it wasn't God's will. Yeah, it was his will. The problem was never with God. It's always with you and me. It's never him. If you don't get your healing, it's not God's problem. It's your problem. It was my problem. Why did I walk in sickness and disease for 45 years of my life? Was it God's problem? No. It was my problem. It was my lack of knowledge. When I got in this book and began to learn and what this book says, I learned how to pray and pray in faith. And I learned how to walk in divine health over 20 years ago. And when most people are 0 to 45, that's when they're the healthiest. Most people, when they get from 45 to 66 is where I am today, that's when most people are running around saying, I can't do anything. I'm getting old. I'm wore out. Oh, I'm over the hill. I'm 50. I guess I'll get whatever. And you do. You get it because you claimed it with your mouth. You didn't believe what this book says. So you're the problem. Between you and the devil, that's the problem. It's never God that is short on this stuff. It's always us. But then when I prayed that prayer of faith... For Philip that day, I got down on the floor, on the knees with that family, and I quoted that verse to the king. I said, Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I've got all these people's sins repented of. They're all telling me they're walking in love. And I said, I don't know their hearts, but you do. I said, I know I'm walking in love the best I know how, and I'm believing the Word of God. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you, according to Matthew 18, 19, to take all of Philip Anthony Wren's warts and scars off of his body. And I want to thank you for doing it. I said, do you all agree? They said, yes. And we stood up and I said, good. I said, say out loud, I agree. Oh, she said, well, why do we have to do that? I said, well, the Word of God says if two of us agree. I said, it didn't say if I agree. It said if two of us, I'm using the Word of God, exactly like it's written. If it says two or more of us agree. So I said, I want the devil to know that we're all in agreement with the Word of God. And I said, now then, she said, well, when are they going to come off? I said, well, now that's the only thing I don't know. God didn't tell me when. But I said, I guarantee you, on the Word of the living God, if you'll stay in faith with me, in a few days to a few weeks, Philip will not have a wart or a scar on his body. I told that story one day in a Baptist church and a Baptist preacher where I was being jumped up right there in the middle. And he just said, Thurman, you cannot guarantee God's Word. I said, Brother, let me tell you, when I did it the normal Baptist way, I never see a thing. When I started guaranteeing, I started seeing God do all kinds of things. I'm going to do it His way instead of yours. 
Now, I don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, or what you are. I've learned some few things that works in this book. And let me tell you, they work exactly like they're written. Don't start trying to second-guess the Word of God. If Jesus said, do it some way, then do it His way. You know, don't try to do it your way because it don't never work when you do it. When I did it Thurman's way, it never worked. When I do it God's way, it always works. And so that's what I've learned. And so if Jesus said this, I told her, said, now I'm going to guarantee you something else. I'm going to guarantee you that when I leave here, there's going to be another critter going to come in here and it's going to be a demon of hell. And that demon is going to come in here and he's going to attack your man. He's going to say, now you don't really think just because that old gray-headed man came over here and prayed our little word out of this old book that those swarts and scars are really going to come off of this boy's body. Remember, he's had them for eight years. And remember, you've had him to the best doctors. And remember, the doctors even burned two rows of them off the back of his hand and they even came back in the scars. So you don't think because he prayed they're going to come off. I said, I guarantee you that devil's going to come put that thought in your mind. But I said, when that thought comes to your mind, don't you entertain that thought. I said, you run over and pick up the Word of God and you say, devil, I want you to see what Jesus said. Jesus said right here, I said, quote the Word of God to the devil and he will flee from you. I said, but if you don't quote the Word, that's the only thing I've learned the devil is afraid of, and that is the written Word of the living God. So I said, if you'll quote the word to that devil, I said, he will flee from you. And I said, I'm going to guarantee you those warts and scars will come off. I left that Sunday afternoon, walked across the street to church. Monday morning, Mama walks in there and she picks up her little son's hand. And she looks and on the ends of his fingers where those big old warts were, already overnight, the warts on the ends of his fingers were completely gone. Now, when you start seeing a mother see the visible results of prayer, it's difficult to get her into unbelief. It's difficult, you know. I mean, it can be done. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've read in this book. Now, again, now this is not something I've heard. I read in this book where the children of Israel saw all the plagues in Egypt. I read where they came out of Egypt, not a sick person among them. I read where they came up to the Red Sea and God parted the sea. Now, let me tell you, folks, if you saw the Ten Commandments, that was pretty impressive, but that was nothing compared to the real thing. There was a few measly thousand people in the Ten Commandments. God was leading somewhere between three and five million people out with somewhere between five and ten million animals. And when he opened the Red Sea, it was not a little bitty tiny hundred foot wide thing. This thing was two or three miles wide on dry ground, and it took them all day. Can you imagine today, if somebody gives you the chore, I want you to lead the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex across the Oklahoma border, walking on foot up Interstate 35. Can you imagine what that would be today? That's what Moses did. There is about three or four million people in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. He was leading that kind of a group of people out. It was not some tiny little chore. But those people saw all these miracles. They saw everything. And then they get over to the land of promise and they don't believe they can take it. I mean, are we, are we a sad bunch of people? Uh, we, it is sad what we don't believe and yet we got a better covenant and better promises. And God made us these kind of promises and told us what else we could do as Christians. And it's like we don't believe these things. In fact, 
I'm going to use a man's name here, and I know he won't mind. He is a minister of a great big ministry, and his name's Bill Gothard. Bill Gothard called me a little over a year ago, and he said, Thurman, I've heard about your ministry. Somebody in my ministry got healed at one of your healing schools. And he said, how do you get this done? I said, well, Bill, I just use the Word of God. He said, what scriptures do you use? And so for about an hour and a half, I quoted him scriptures out of the King James Bible. Chapter, book, chapter, and verse. And he said, you know, I'm going to check these out. I said, okay. So a few weeks later, he called back. He said, Thurman, you know those scriptures you use? You know what they say in the Hebrew and the Greek? I said, yes, sir. Exactly the same thing they say in English. He said, well... He said, those scriptures are so powerful, I really didn't believe God meant what he said. Now, you see the ability of the devil to blind your mind, even if you're a Bill Gothard. I mean, that man is a wonderful man of God. He loves the Lord. Some of you may know him. That guy's four years older than me. He's 70 years old, been in the ministry 50 years. And he has seen God do some awesome things. But when it comes to healing, the devil had blinded his mind. So a few weeks later, Bill called me and said, Thurman. I've got a dilemma. He said, I want you to teach in some of my seminars. But he said, uh, uh, I want to set you up. He said, these verses that you teach from are awesome. I said, well, now, Bill, let me send you some of my video and audio tapes. I want you and your board to listen to them because I said, I'm not a traditional Baptist. I said, I teach a little different than what the Baptists teach. And he said, well, okay. So I sent them to him. And he, they reviewed them, and they called me, and they talked to them, and they had all kinds of questions. And he said, Thurman, if I were to let you teach in one of my seminars, he said, I'd have to change the whole Baptist doctrine. <laughs> I said, Bill, that's why I wanted you to see my stuff, because I didn't want to come down there and teach something, and then me and you both get in trouble. I said, look, Bill. He said, I still want you to teach. I said, well, look, Bill, I, if God wants me to teach over there, he'll make a way. He's the head of the church. I said, I'm not even concerned about this. So a few weeks later, he called me back and said, Thurman, i got a problem. I said, what's this? He said, Andy Warner, young man that works for me, he's, already, he's a fine young man, said he's already had back surgery once, and said now then he come in walking in a walker today, and he's been to the doctor's office, and the doctor gave him three options. And there were certain things, but all of them led to surgery. He said, what do you say? I said, well, I give him a fourth option, and it's Jesus. Now, isn't that amazing? How come he went to the doctor? Because he didn't believe God's Word. I mean, the promises are here. I told him, I said, where is he? He said, right here. I'm going to put him on a speakerphone, and we want you to talk to him. I said, okay. So I don't know how many people was in Bill's office that day, but several. And Andy. And for 45 minutes, I talked to Andy. My first question to Andy, are you a born-again Christian? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said, yes, I do. I said, are you walking holy before God? He said, yes, sir, I think so. I said, well, I've come to realize, Andy, that young people today don't know what sin is. We don't know what sin is. So I said, I'm going to go through a bunch of things, and I'm going to ask you if you've done any of these things. Because I've learned now there's Christians in church today that are going to church sitting in a pew that's living with somebody out of wedlock and don't think they're living in sin. So let me tell you, your eyes are blinded by the God of this world. If you are having a sexual relationship with somebody outside of wedlock and you're a born-again Christian, I'm going to tell you, you're living in gross sin. And demons are coming up on your house, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to be afflicted. 
And if you don't know how to get delivered, you may very well get married later and bring handicapped children into the world. Or children are going to be sick all their life because of your stupid sin. Those sins are carried down to the children. I'm going to tell you, you don't like it. It's written in God's Word. Don't do it. Don't do what the devil wants you to do because that's what he wants to get legal right to you. And you will pay for those sins all of your life. And your children will pay for them all of their life. But anyway, I finally got down to Andy and I couldn't find any sin in Andy's life. I said, Andy, the only sin I can find in your life is unbelief of the promises of God. He said, sir, I believe God's word. I said, no, you don't. You either don't know it or you don't believe it. I said, Andy, I want you to turn to Matthew 18, 19. I said, you got a Bible there, don't you? He said, I sure do. He turned over to Matthew 18, 19. I said, you read it to me out loud. And he read it to me out loud. I said, now, Andy, you didn't believe that verse, did you? He read that again. He said, well, he said, I guess, obviously, I didn't. I said, because if you did, you wouldn't be down in your back. With no sin in your life, ever sin confessed, walking in obedience to God's Word, I said, the devil has come upon you to attack you. And I said, you didn't know what you could do, you didn't understand who this beast was. He come put these symptoms upon you instead of grabbing him by the tail and throwing him out with the word of God. You've agreed with him with your tongue, and now he's come in and he's made you sick. He said, Well, I certainly didn't know that, sir. I said, Would you repent for your evil heart of unbelief of the promises of God? Because Hebrews three twelve says, If you've got a heart of unbelief, it's an evil heart of unbelief. That's a sin. So Andy Warner Repented of his sins right there in Bill's office in Chicago. I'm on my phone here in the, in the, my, out here at my ministry center in close to Justin. thousand miles between here and there. It's amazing how God can be everywhere. I prayed the prayer of faith based around that prayer in Matthew 18, 19. And asked the Father in Jesus' name to heal Andy Warner. And I thanked him for it. I said, Andy, do you agree? He said, yes. I said, thank the Lord for healing you. And instantly the king of the universe healed that boy's back. He has not been. I, I Later, a few weeks later, Bill called me again. He said, Thurman, I got a young man by the name of Robert. He's down and he's, he's, he's but worse than Andy. Andy could walk in a walker. Robert can't get up. He's down in his back. So I began to go through Robert's sin. Robert had some sins of the world. A lot of young 20, 23, 4, 5 year old young men have the sin Robert had. A lot of them. That sin had put Robert down on his back, immobile. I got Robert to repent of those sins. I prayed the prayer of faith over him. Now, when God, you know, when you think about the mercy of God, if we're his children and we repent of our sins, what does he say he'll do? Does he say he'll forgive us? Sure he does. Aren't we glad? Because when Robert repented, it restored him to grace. And up there, there's no sickness and disease. So when I prayed the prayer of faith for Robert, I said, Now then, I guarantee, Robert, you're healed. So thank the Lord. He did. And instantly got up off that bed. He went on a two-mile hike, come in and played basketball till 2 o'clock in the morning. The next morning, Bill was on the phone. He said, Thurman, I'm telling you, this gospel you're preaching works. He said, this stuff works. He said, you got to speak in my seminars. I said, okay, I'll speak in your seminars. And so he set me up to speak at a whole bunch of them. Well, I went to Big Sandy and spoke at the first one. 
3,000 people there. God did miracles in that place as I'm teaching the Word of God, talking about these wonderful things that His Word and these promises. God was moving through that group of people and healing people, and miracles were happening all over the place. They were just hearing me talk about these mighty promises, and from these promises, as they're sitting there in their seats, I had one man come up to me. He said, when you told that story about Philip and his warts, and all we had to do was repent of our sins and agree in prayer, it's done. He said, my daughter looked up and said, Daddy, will you agree with me? She had 13 warts on the back of her hand. He said, I will, honey. He said, those 13 warts fell off the back of my daughter's hand onto the floor right before our very eyes. I mean, what kind of a God do we serve? He's a mighty God. That's right. Somebody over there has got to answer. He's a mighty God. He's able to do anything exceedingly abundantly above all, but He does not want any of His children to be sick. He bore our sickness and removed our disease on the cross 2,000 years ago. In fact, He healed you before He paid the price for your sin. In His beating, He paid the price for your sickness. He bore your sickness and removed your disease in His beating so that you wouldn't have to be sick. And He confirms that, telling us. But then, right after Matthew 18, 19, He says, Don't hold unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. In fact, that scripture is so powerful, I don't know how many times I'd read that and I didn't get it. But Peter come to him and said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother? Until seven times in a day? If he gets upset with me, do I have to forgive him seven times? Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. And he said, Peter, this is why. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he starts telling him, and for the interest of time, since I'm running out of time, I just won't read the whole thing. I'll just paraphrase it. He says, it's this important. He said, there was a man, there was a kingdom, and the king had a servant, and the servant owed him 10,000 talents. It depends on what translation you read as to how many millions or billions of dollars that is, but it's a big chunk of money. And he said, and the man, since he had not to pay, the king said, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children and your lands and your houses and all that you own to pay this debt. What's going to have to be sold to pay the debt? Everything. The man, the wife, the children, everything is going to have to pay this price. And it says, and the man came and fell and worshipped the king. That's the first thing you do right when you mess up. You come and worship the king. And he asked him to forgive him. And the, the king says, okay, because you've asked me, I'm going to forgive you that huge debt. You don't owe me a penny. Boy, what a place to live. That's mine and your debt that we owe the king for our wicked, foul sins that we committed when we were children of the kingdom of hell. And every one of us was children of the kingdom of hell. No, I'll take that back. We weren't children of the kingdom. We were kids of the kingdom. We're now children of the king of the universe. There's a difference between a kid and a child. I'm going to tell you the difference. There's a tremendous difference. Always he refers to the children, the kids, as the goats, as the devil's people. The lost people and children is his people, children of the light. He always refers to us like that. But he goes on down, and after this man that's forgiven, it says that man goes out and finds a man owes him a hundred pence, which is a measly few dollars compared to the huge debt he owed. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And he says, give me time, and I will. And he says, no. And he grabs the man by the choke throat and begins to choke him. He says, pay me everything that you owe me. He said, I can't pay it, but I will. He says, no, throw him in prison until he can pay me what he owes. It says the servants saw what happened. They went and told the king, Lord, that man, you forgave that huge debt. 
He had a man owed him a little bitty debt and he wouldn't forgive him. He said, call that wicked servant in. Call him in here. That wicked servant, he brought him in. He said, didn't I forgive you that huge debt just because you asked me to? He said, now then, because you did not forgive your brother, that little debt that he owed you, neither will I forgive you. In other words, you owe me the 10 million or the 10,000 talents, whatever that huge debt is. I'm not going to forgive you that debt. In fact, not only do you owe me that huge debt again, but now then, I'm going to turn you over to the torturer, the tormentors. Who do you think that is? That's the devil and his demons. I'm going to turn you over to the torturers, the tormentors. Who? Not only him, but his wife and his children and his house and his lands and his bank account and everything he owns is going, going to become legal right of the torture, the tormentors, the devil. And he says in verse 35, Jesus made an astounding statement. He said, this is the way my heavenly father will do each of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. I have had, since I've learned that, I can tell you an experience I had, again, at least 10 or 12 years ago. There was a young man in his 20s and his wife. They had a young daughter, three years old, in the hospital with a seizure with a 104-degree temperature. There wasn't nothing they could do could help her. Nothing. That young man, he worked for me at the time. He come in one morning and I said, son, you look like warmed over death. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, Mr. Scrivener, my daughter come down sick Friday. She's been in the hospital all the weekend and said there's not anything they can do. She's bound up with a seizure and a 104-degree temperature, and nothing will lower her temperature. I don't know what's wrong with her. They don't know what's wrong with her. I said, son, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, are you walking in obedience to God's Word? He said, well, I'm trying. I said, are you going to church and tithing and doing everything God told you to do to be obedient? He said, yes, sir, I'm trying. I said, okay. I said, do you hold any unforgiveness? He said, oh, no, sir. I said, then it must be your wife. He said, what do you mean? I said, that three-year-old girl's not sick by accident. That three-year-old girl's sick because the devil's got a legal right to her. There's a reason. Every time your kid gets sick, your child, if you're a born-again Christian, you've got a child, your child, when they get sick, there's a reason. Always look to see what that reason is. Never an exception. There's always a reason. Just like somebody says, I don't believe what Proverbs 26.2 says. Proverbs 26.2 says, no curse comes upon you undeserved. That's written in the Word of God. If the devil had legal right to you, he could just come and take you out anytime he wanted to. You know how many of us would still be alive today? Not one of us. He would have killed us all. But God's protecting us. And he protects us as long as we walk in obedience but anyway, I sent this young man to see his wife. I said, she must have an unforgiveness. So he went to her and he asked her, do you, honey, you have unforgiveness towards someone? And this was what she said. She said, I don't understand what's going on. She said, this morning, my grandfather came by and said, me and cousin so-and-so have been holding this unforgiveness towards each other too long. We need to forgive each other. Said, then my aunt came by and said, you, you and cousin so-and-so are holding this grudge against each other. You need to forgive each other. God was working all over the place, and there was not listening. And then I walk in. Her husband said, you're coming in. Want to know if I have unforgiveness? She said, yes, I have a grudge against this boy. I told her, I said, ma'am, it don't make it. What he done to you? 
your little daughter's laying in hospital sick because of that sin. She had a hard time with that. I told her, I said, I'll prove it to you if you'll get right with that boy. So she went and asked him to forgive her. And she asked God to forgive her. Then we went to where that little girl was. I told that young man, I said, young man, I want you to see the power of God's Word. I said, there's not anybody alive that has more spiritual authority over that little girl than you, the father. So I said, I want you, the father, although you've never done this, I'm going to show you what God's Word does when you do it in faith. I said, I want you to read a magnificent promise in Luke 10, 19 and 20. So he turned in his Bible and read Luke 10, 19 and 20. And that 10, 19 and 20 says, Behold, Jesus is speaking. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, Satan and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. I said, Now then, that you and your wife have got all your sins repented of and confessed. Now the devil has to be subject to you. I said, when you give him legal right, you did not have power over him. But when the sins repented of, now you have power over him. I said, now turn to Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, and read the first part of Mark 16, 17, and the last line of verse 18. And he turned over and said, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall drive out devils. She's got a devil, a demon. And then the last line says, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. They only recover when the devil don't have legal right. And that's why so much of the healing ministry has failed. And that's why so many of you that were sick when you came here that got healed last night, some of you is going to be sick again because the reason the sin that you were living in that brought the sickness, God was merciful. If you don't repent and walk holy before him, I guarantee the devil's going to come back and you're going to be worse. So you're going to have to straighten your act up if you want to walk in divine health. You can't live in sin and walk in health. It is not possible. So anyway, that little boy reached over and laid his hands on that three-year-old daughter and read those verses. I said, now then, son, command that devil to leave her in the name of Jesus. He said, Satan, you now have no longer legal right. I command you to leave my daughter in Jesus' name. And that's about how weak he said it. And instantly, that devil left that little girl. She became unbound. She got up off that bed and began to walk around in the room. And a lady came in and checked her. She said, what is she doing up? I said, she's delivered. She's healed. She said, what happened? I said, you wouldn't understand it if I explained it to you. (laughs) So she said, well, let me take her temperature. She'd just been in 30 minutes before, and it was 104. But now it's 98.6. That little girl was instantly totally healed. When the devil has legal right to you, he will kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus clearly told us as his children to walk in love. I command you, he said, to walk in love. Why do you think he said that so many times? Because he loves us. He does not want us to give legal right to the devil. Now then... In the shortness of time, I want to read just a few scriptures. i got just a couple of minutes left. And I want to show you in Proverbs 19, 23, I want to show you and confirm some of these things I'm talking to you about. Proverbs 19, 
23. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. When I learned that John 1 clearly says that everything that's made was made by God. Everything visible and invisible is made by God. So guess who made the devil and his demons? God did. Guess who's in control of them? God is. I have come to realize in the invisible world, God uses the demonic world as the police officers or the enforcing agency to keep you and me straight. When you learn that, you will stop sinning. Turn to Psalms 119. Verse 67. Psalm 119, 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted with sickness and disease, I went astray. But now have I kept your word. When you learn that if you get out there on that highway and you speed, you're going to get a ticket. You won't pay many of them till you'll stop speeding. Or they'll put you in jail. And then you'll get mad at the police officer. And who should you be mad at? You, the police officer, just doing his job. You want me to tell you how to not pay any speeding tickets? Drive the speed limit. You want me to tell you how to stay out of jail? Obey the laws of the land. You want me to tell you how to walk in divine health? Obey these rules in this book. One last place we're going to go. 1 John 5. I had a lady here a while back. I quoted this on a tape. And a lady, which is a very, very spiritual woman, she said, when I heard you make this statement on your tape, she said, I have read 1 John, no telling how many times. I'm going to tell you that's not what my Bible says. But she stopped that tape, backed it up, listened to it again, went and got her Bible and read it, and she called me. She said, you know, that's exactly what the Bible said. I had never seen it. Look what 1 John 5, 18 says. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. What is the goal for those of us that are Christians? No sin. And it's just not in here one place. It's all over the book. Paul told us, no telling how many times. But John is telling us here, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. That means don't practice sinning. It means you cannot, you cannot and will not, as a Christian, be able to go through life and never, ever sin. I would love to get there, and that is the goal. But if you do make a mistake, immediately repent. Because when you sin, you've transgressed the law of God, you've fell from grace, and you've opened the door to the devil. And he will come and get you. And he will make you sick. He will afflict you. And I've had some real experiences in my own life like that with the tiny little sins. And some of the things, I, if I had time to tell you, some of the stories that, that give the devil legal right to hit me. And just simple things. Things you say, well, that's not a sin. But Romans fourteen twenty three says, anything you do that's not a faith is sin. Let me tell you, that's easy to sin. 
very easy. But he says there, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Who is the wicked one? The devil. Now, if you keep yourself from sin, the wicked one cannot touch you. God says clearly in Psalms 91, under the law, if you'll make him the Most High God your dwelling place, and you will say of the Lord, he's my strength and my refuge, and him will I trust. He says in verse 3, I will protect you from the snare of the fowler. Let me give you an example of how wonderful that works. The other night, my wife was coming home in a car. She was going to send the car out to Colorado with a lot of equipment because she's a professional singer and entertainer, and her and her daughter were going to sing in a huge hotel, uh, a Hyatt Regency or something out close to Reno, Nevada. So she was coming home that night. She had been out singing. I was making radio shows, and it was about 1230, like, like this morning. I made radio shows and finally got in bed 2 o'clock this morning. But anyway, I was making radio shows that night, and I got in bed about 1215. And so she was still out, and she was coming home, and she had had to change a lot of her equipment at one of the places. So when they got through singing, they had to set, change equipment, and so that took them an hour, hour and a half. So it's sometime in the wee hours of the morning. I'm laying there in the bed asleep, I think, and all of a sudden I heard my name spoken so gently. Thurman? And I immediately turned my head to the right and said, Yes, Lord. And immediately... He showed me either a dream or a vision. I don't know what you call it, but I saw my wife driving her car down the road. And then I saw her pull into a car wash to wash her car. And I saw two men come from one from around each end attacked her. And as they were coming to attack her, everything went away. Well, let me tell you, I was wide awake at this point. And I reached up and grabbed my telephone and I pushed it and it said 1.54 a.m. And my wife was not home. I pushed her button right quick and the phone rang and she said, Hi, honey, are you still awake this time of the morning? I said, Well, I wasn't. I was in bed asleep, but I'm awake now. I said, Where are you? She said, I'm on 26, five minutes from the racetrack and I plan to stop in there and fill up with gas. Then I'm going to pull on down the street to that car wash and I'm going to wash my car before I come home tonight. I said, no, you're not going to wash your car tonight. She said, what do you mean? And I told her the dream or the vision that God showed me. And she said, I'm not even stopping for gas. She said, I'm coming home. Now, let me tell you, if you're walking in obedience to God's word, the snare of the fowler will still be out there. He will be trying to take you or your mate or your children out. But if you give the devil no legal right through sin, the Word of God clearly says he will protect you from the snare of the fowler. How can he do that? Through a dream or a vision. And somebody asked me at church, I told that story at church, other than somebody said, well, why didn't he just speak to your wife? I said, God made me the priest over my home. He didn't make her the priest. He expects me to take care of her. I said, Women were made for the men. The men were made to serve God and to take care and love and protect their women. And I said, and God made me the priest, and he told me what to do, and he expected me to take care of my wife after what he had showed me. So I said, he has done that, 
and for every man that will walk holy before God and walk in obedience to His Word, He will do exactly what He said in His Word. He will give you dreams and visions. He will speak to you, and He will keep you and your family safe from the snares of the devil, and there don't have to be any sickness and disease in your family. You can walk in divine health. We're doing it. We've learned how. But it takes a lot of requirements to do it. It takes walking in love. If you've not met that criteria and you are sick and afflicted, I have taught these things in healing schools for the last seven years in the Metroplex area. I teach two of those healing schools a month. We have one this Saturday added to just an area. And they're usually from one till four. Now, this Saturday is only going to go to four because I got my daughter, my wife's daughter is getting married Saturday afternoon at 6.30. So I can't be late to that wedding. I got to be on time. So the healing school may be a little short. But usually we go from 1 to 5, and then we pray for people, and many times we're there 7, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, praying for people and, and getting people's needs met. And as I've taught people these things, repent, believe God's Word. I've had people come to me that's been to every kind of healing crusade imaginable. I've had people that's come to me that's been to Benny Hinn, to Oral Roberts, to all kinds of places that couldn't get healed, and it wasn't me that healed them. It was the Word. They didn't meet the criteria. They hadn't repented. They hadn't believed. They hadn't come to God with His Word. So when they did that, we've had several people that had been miraculously healed. Some of them have been instantly healed when they repented, got right with God, began to believe His Word, and ask Him to do something according to His Word. He always does it. I will have to say that Bill Gother sent me a new book he had written the other day called Kingdom Authority how to live in it and walk in it. And some of my stories are in his book. And it's wonderful that Bill is now believing the things that he and I've talked about. And although they kicked me out, they wouldn't let me speak in anymore because he caught so much flack from so many people. And it's unfortunate that's the way it is in the church. And oh, by the way, since Tom walked in, I've got to straighten out something he said. He told something twice so far and I don't want the story to get out wrong. He said that I went to the Cook's Hospital and began to clean it out, and the doctors and the nurses came against me. But that's not true. It wasn't the doctors and the nurses. It was the chaplains. The chaplains is the one that threatened the second little boy that got healed. Then I was going to pray for a four-year-old that night, and he was on his deathbed, and a chaplain came in, and I didn't know who he was. And when he heard me talking to this mother and the grandmother, and I was going to pray for this four-year-old boy, which they had told him, told them that he would die that night, I was explaining to them how to get the boy healed when this guy pulled me outside. And he had a suit and tie on. I thought he was with the family. He said, I need to see you outside. So I told her, I said, ma'am, I'll be back in a minute. I didn't know who he was. I got up and went out there. When I went outside, he said, you can't do what you're doing in this hospital. I said, sir. All I'm doing is teaching these people the Word of God and praying for these babies. And he said, I know it. But he said, you can't do it here. I said, well, who are you? He said, I'm a chaplain. I said, well, if you're a chaplain, let's me and you go back in and pray for that baby and get that baby healed. (laughs) And he said, no. He said, you go back in there and I will send two armed guards to remove you from this hospital. I said, sir, you can't be serious. Now, this is a Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth. 
I'm going to tell you what I'm telling you is the truth. I would know why I was getting up and tell you this story if it didn't wasn't true. But he threatened me. In fact, he sent for two young men with guns on. And they came up to remove me from the hospital. And I told them, I said, boys, are you two boys Christians? And they said, yes, we are. I said, I'm a Christian. And you can ask anybody in this hospital if I'm causing a disturbance. And everybody agreed. No, he's not. He's not causing any disturbance. So I said, technically, you boys have no legal right to remove me from this hospital. And so they went away and left me alone. But that was on Tuesday and on Thursday, uh, there was a lady come by Wednesday and wanted me to come upstairs and pray for her son. He had been uh, injured seriously. And he was having nightmares and seeing demons and everything else. And she wanted me to come pray for him. And so I told her I, I would. And so Thursday morning, I went up there to her room. And I was in the room praying for the little seven-year-old boy and explaining to him why the devil had legal right to him and what he had to do and everything. And we got all that taken care of. While I was in there, another man walked in with a suit and tie, and he said, I need to see you outside. I said, well, who are you? And I first of all turned to the wife and said, ma'am, do you know who this guy is? And she said, i never seen him before in my life. I said, well, sir, I'm going to tell you, this woman, I'm in here ministering to this woman and her baby. I said, now, I don't know who you are, but I said, you go back outside that door, and when I get through in here, then I'll come outside and, and see what you want. But I'm not coming out again until I find out what's going on here. So I went ahead and ministered to the child and got that child supernaturally healed. Well, when I walked out of the door, there is a man with a suit and tie on with a guard with a gun on. And I said, and who might you be? He said, I'm the head chaplain of Cook's Medical Center. And his name was Steve. I said, so what can I do for you? He said, I need you to come to my office. I said, for what? He said, I just suggest you come up to my office. I said, did you have to bring a man with a gun on to talk to me? And he said, are you coming? I said, okay, I'll go. So I went upstairs. We went in his office up on the fifth floor, walked in, and he closed the door and locked it with that guard. He turned and looked at me and he said, you cannot do what you're doing in this hospital. I said, sir, all I'm doing is praying for children, and God is healing them. He said, I know. But he said, if you pray for another child in this hospital, I'm going to file a warrant for your arrest, and I'm going to have you removed from this hospital, and you'll never be allowed in here even to see your own granddaughter. I said, you can't be serious. He said, I'm very serious. I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, would you mind telling me what your God's name is? He said, Jehovah. I said, is his, name, is his son's name Jesus? He said, that's none of your business. I said, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. The same religious demons that Jesus dealt with when he was here. I said, sir, you got a tiger by the tail. And you're going to want to turn me loose before I get through clawing you. <laughs> I said, I know the king of the universe, and his name is Jesus. And I said, I'm fixing to make a trip to the throne of grace. Me and him's going to have a talk about you. <laughs> he said, well, you can leave. But he said, don't you pray for another child in this hospital, or I'll show you what I'm going to do. I said, no problem. I walked out of his office, and I said, before I walk out, can I have your business card? He said, what do you want my card for? I said, I didn't get that chaplain's name Tuesday night, but I want to know who you are. 
And I said, I want this guard's badge number on the back of that card. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I know the king of the universe and he's named Jesus. And I'm going to take both of you guys to the throne of grace. So I said, you will hear more from me, I can assure you. And so I did that. I walked out. And, of course, as I walked down the corridor, a woman met me right there in the middle. She said, sir, are you Thurman Scrivener? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I understand you pray for children and they get healed. I said, yes, ma'am. Jesus heals them. She said, would you come to our room and pray for my baby? I said, no, probably don't have a camera in your room. But I said, out here in this hallway, they got them all over the place. So I said, I'm going to stand right here and raise my hands and pray for that baby because I want them guys to see me right here. (laughs) So I prayed for that baby. Then I went on down that room and then I left there and I went Sunday. I began to pray. I met with some men. We prayed. We asked God to move and do some things because we realize our battle is not against flesh and blood. So we prayed and I asked the Lord to move supernaturally some way to do something. And so I didn't know what he was going to do. But I left there. Monday morning I went back to work for the first time in two weeks. And if you haven't heard the story of my granddaughter, the reason I was in there, you need to get the tapes out here, Caitlin's Miracle, because it'll be one of the most awesome faith builders. Pastor Jeff Drop here, I don't know how many of those tapes he's made when he got a hold of those A lot of you people that's come here probably have already heard it because he's handed out I don't know how many of them. But anyway, it's a story about what happened while I was in that hospital. And it was a pretty awesome story. But anyway, I was at work on Monday morning and my phone rang. And a young man that was a actually not a believer in Jesus. He belongs to another religion. He called me and wanted to know if I had any work for him. And I told him, no. And he said, I've been trying to get a hold of you for a week. And I said, well, I've been over at Cook's Medical Center. He said, Cook's Medical Center? He said, man, if you have any problems in Cook's Medical Center, just let me know. He said, the CEO of that hospital is in my Sunday school class. Now, the Sunday school class he's in is not believers in Jesus. It's not, they're not believers in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's amazing what God can do. But I told that man... And he, when I told him what happened, he said, I don't believe that. I said, believe it. It happened. So he called Mr. Tolman, which is or was the CEO of Cook's Medical Center. He's a great man, but he belongs to the wrong kind of church. And he called Miss Sarah Saylor at Cook's Medical Center and said, I heard this story about this man, Thurman Scrivener, that our chaplains are coming against him. said, what's going on? She said, Mr. Tolman, we don't understand. said, every child this man prays for gets miraculously healed. We do not understand what's going on. But yes, the chaplains told him he couldn't pray for these children anymore. He said, take a letter and take it to him. He dictated a letter to Miss Sarah Saylor. She brought it to me. And she came into Caitlin's room where I was standing in faith for my granddaughter, which was, according to Cook's Medical Center, impossible to live. Impossible. Ain't no way. She's a goner. But today she's seven years old running and playing. But I'm going to tell you that whenever she came to my room and asked me out, she said, Thurman, all I got to say is you must know somebody. I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And his name is Jesus. She said, well, never had this happen, but Mr. Tolman, get me this letter, dictated it to me, 
And you have the right to pray for any child in this hospital any time, day or night, you want to, as long as long as the parents will ask you to do it. So if they ask you, you have the right to pray for them any time you want to. And she said, by the way, I've had a problem with my leg for years. Will you pray for me? I said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, you have all your sins confessed? She said, well, I, I think so. I said, well, you really need to know so. But I said, uh, okay, I'll use Matthew 18, 19, the prayer of agreement, and I'll pray for you. And so I did. And I said, now then, thank the Lord that you're healed. He said, well, let me take a few steps and see if it hurts. And if it don't hurt, I'll know I'm healed. I said, no, ma'am, you just sinned. What do you mean I sinned? I said, you didn't believe God's word. You want him, you want to see it before you believe it. And I said, you must believe it before you can see it. Because he's a faith God. I said, never repent of your sin. She said, sir, I didn't realize it was this important. I said, that's why people don't get anything from God. You have to do it exactly like he said. So anyway, as I walked through that hospital, little Kelly Ringstaff was supernaturally healed. I know that people have a problem believing that prayers do things. But for a little girl that was in that car with my granddaughter, which busted her head open right here back, way back, and also crushed both of her pelvics, and the doctor said she may live, but if she does, she'll have brain damage probably. But for sure, it'll be two and a half to three months before she can walk with a walker. Then she'll have to learn how to walk all over again. I quoted two magnificent promises, John 16, 23 and 24, to the king and asked him to do a supernatural miracle on that little girl. And I thanked him for doing it. And after quoting John 16, 23 and 24 to the king and to all those people, I turned and make this statement. I guarantee my king, and his name is Jesus, will honor his word, and he will do a supernatural healing on little Kelly Ringstaff. Well, in one week, Kelly was out of ICU. One more week, Kelly's walking in a walker out of the hospital. And even the Baptist church that we went to at the time, even they recognized they had seen God do a miracle. But three days later, when Kelly had thrown away her walker and is back in school running and playing, her doctor knew that God had showed up for Kelly. So that's the kind of things God will do for you if you'll stand on his word. Tom, I'll let you have it so I know I'm supposed to quit at 12 and I'm already past time. Oh, yeah.